Thanks for tuning in to the Beer Mighty Things podcast, your place for education and happenings for all things craft beverage. I'm your host, Kyle Reiner. I hope you obtained some value from our show because, as you know, far better it is to Beer Mighty Things. Cheers. Welcome in to the Beer Mighty Things podcast. This is what you listen to while you brew, while you drive, while you do other things. Today, we are featuring my new friend, Mr. Jason Sleeman. He is the Vice President of Craft Beverage Lending at United Community Bank in Woodstock, Georgia. Jason, welcome in. How are you? Hey, I am doing awesome. It's a nice Friday, and uh, we're starting to hit spring, so that's always good. That means it's time for people to hang out outside of breweries and enjoy some awesome craft beer. I was told yesterday, I said, uh, I have a, a gentleman I work with. He's, he drove by one of the breweries I work with. He goes, that place, their outdoor space yesterday was packed. You know, it was like 75 degrees or something. I was like, that's great for them. Hopefully everyone's cool. And uh, it's just good to see. Hopefully, you know, revenue start jumping back up again and getting back to some normalcy here. Yeah, well, from the banking side, January and February are very uh, bad for breweries. And so you really want to see March come. And I, I think even... We're mid-COVID right now. Uh, We're not completely done with it, but I think people are starting to feel they can go back. And so spring is going to be a great help for the breweries to get people back and be comfortable. They may not want to be inside, so if they can have warm days and be outside, I I think that's going to be helpful for on-site craft beverage consumption. If we can get Mother Nature to cooperate with us, uh, it'll be good. I just... You know, it's just funny when it's all of a sudden it's like 52 degrees. Everyone's like outside in shorts. They're like, it's summer. Like, dude, it's 52. Like, you know, we'll take it. Yes. I think everyone's looking for that excuse. So if it's, if it's above 30, they are, they're sitting outside. Absolutely. Like, uh, (laughs) like umbrella in their drink already, you know, it's 36. You're like, this is sweet. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Well, I already think that I know what I'm going to title this episode. Um, and I believe that it's going to be titled on putting your best foot forward. So with you being the vice president of craft beverage lending, is it UC, UCB? Yeah, UCBI. Yeah, UCB. Whatever they call it down there. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, business plans, projections, uh, what makes a good investor for your brewery from a bank's perspective? Uh, what does the bank think about your management team? And, and we've done a couple episodes about these. Um, now we're going to dive in and get a little more granular on it. So uh, with that, Jason, what is a bank looking for when you sit down with your business plan and projections? What, you know, differentiators and, and whatnot. So let's go. Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack here, but the, the first thing that I would tell you is, you know, most of what we're going to talk about are just best practices. They're not absolute rules. So th- this isn't something that is a, a chart from the SBA or conventionally how this will look. It's really just how do you, in kind of a streamlined format, be able to put your best foot forward and you don't have a lender digging through 100 pages of uh, just non-important information. Um, so you're going to need a business plan for both new breweries, so breweries that are in planning, And you're going to also need them for expansion requests. So just because you're an existing brewery doesn't mean that we don't want to see a business plan. We want to understand what that second location is going to look like, how you're going to maybe either run it the same or a little different. And so, you know, some plans are better than others. Uh, Some guys do it better than others. But what this will do is it'll help keep uh, plans succinct and provide you with some important insight on your project. 
I think the first thing that everyone's got to understand is this is not a school paper. Uh, sometimes I get them and it looks like someone's kind of writing their thesis. I um, mean, there's a lot of really nice fluffy things in it, uh, but they don't, they're not really practical. And, and a good banker gets pretty good about coming through what's important and not coming through what's important. But the purpose of this document is to do two things. If you're going out and trying to raise investors, it's trying to encourage them to say, hey, you understand how to run a business and I should invest in you. And when you're putting it to a lender, they're trying to understand if you're worthy of them lending your funds. If, if, they're, if you're a good risk profile for the bank, um, you'll be able to do that. And if, and if it's done right, there's kind of a, a second purpose to it. You should be able to come back to your business plan and use it as benchmarking. How did we do in year one? Because we said we were going to do this. Do we do it? Can we do this in year two? Um, and that's just a huge part of it. So uh, one of my favorite lines to get on a business plan is, there is a problem and we are solving it. And I kind of joke that I don't know that there's any brewery out there that's actually solving a problem, right? It's uh, it's nice to think we're doing that. It could, hey, it could, it could be, it could be dehydration. It could be depression. You know, it's saving the world from bad beer. All right, I, I'm okay with that. But uh, another one. That's, yeah. that's probably not the first line that a brewery wants to see is that that there's a problem and your brewery is the solution. I, I just kind of chuckle when I get that from time to time um, because it, it, it seems like, Hey, this came out of a template of, uh, you know, I, I've got a scientific, uh, you know, cure to something and we're solving that problem. So, you know, I look at it from that perspective. One of the early things that I want to understand is tell me about your name, right? You, you get a lot of, you get a lot of names and some of them are great. And some of them, I would be terrified to lend to a name and some of the names that I've actually seen. So, you know, we have discussions from time to time that uh, breweries, some success from the brewery has to do with the name. So how'd you come up with your name? And if you're an existing, what's your brand reputation? What, what does that look like? If I'm, if I'm looking at a business plan on an existing brewery, I'm going and looking at your Yelp reviews and I'm going and looking at your untapped scores and I'm looking at some of those kind of things in addition to that. So you might as well just put it right into the business plan and say, hey, here's our here's what our brand looks like and here's how it will go. Listen, um, I'll say that on uh, one of the insurance documents, uh, you know, we use questionnaires, you know, when we're reviewing a business, just like much like you are here in this regard, uh, it'll say, what is your TripAdvisor score? What's your average rating? Yeah, it's, it's huge. Um, we looked at a brewery recently in Florida and uh, they were scaling up pretty substantially. And when we looked at it, their TripAdvisor scores were really great. And people kept saying, the beer is awesome. We don't love the location though. And so that you know, was great for me because they were moving locations. And I said, well, we've got a good product. And we're going to move them closer to the water. That's what they were doing. They were moving to the water. And I said, well, we can solve the location problem. If they've got good beer, we can solve that other problem. So it's, it's, it gives a ton of insight into the, you know, the, the mind of the brewery and, and kind of what they're looking for. The other, th the other thing that I think is huge is we're global now. So both in that, in, in, I guess, nationwide is really what I mean. And so that untapped score or, um, you know, in your business plan, you should tell me where you are. So talk a little bit about your hometown and why you chose this place. And if there's no reference to a city or a state, uh, that is a little bit tough in the early going. You'll see too, um, you know, it's so important to know your backyard. I covered it with uh, Becky in the one episode of Wall and Paul Pack Brewing. And she is up in North, Northern, Northeast Pennsylvania. And that's like, it's kind of like NASCAR town. It's, 
you know, it's a lake, it's outdoorsy people and they grew up and they all still drink, you know, your, your Jenny cream ale, right. They still drink the lagers. So she started making those and they're crushing it with that. So know your backyard. That's it's huge to be able to say, Hey, this is, this is my audience. And and I'm going to talk a little bit deeper about that uh, as we continue to go. But one of the other things that I want early on in a business plan is putting your financial numbers earlier. Normally it's on page 57 or 58 in appendix B that they put that there. Um, You know, I assume that you've got some kind of plan, but I want to make sure you understand your numbers. So to me, understanding your numbers is more important than understanding what IPA you're going to brew or what type of stout you're going to be making. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it really is important to do that. And it, if you've got historical numbers, so if this is an expansion, you know, I want to understand, okay, they weren't great. Why? Right. Put that up front, show me the numbers, put that up front. Or if they were excellent, how did you get there? Right. Because all too often, you know, the banker will ask for, you know, tax returns and a business plan. And we think those are two separate documents, but they're really intertwined, right? So if you have a bad year, we need to understand why, uh, because that helps me explain it to the right people. If you had a great year, how are you going to continue to, to, you know, be better with that and also make uh, the second location or third location uh, live off of the good years that you had at the first one? Yeah. What else do you see that's, you know, when you see it in a business plan, you're like, man, that's fluff. It's annoying. I'm tired of seeing this. It's crap. Oh, uh, there's so there's so much, right? So I think everyone goes to the BA and get, gets the exact same graphic that says, here's what happened in our state. We have this many breweries and this many, whatever. And, and it just, it, it's actually something, I, I know this sounds terrible, but I actually, when I see that slide, I just slide right past it. Um, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, it, it doesn't add anything specifically to you because just because the state does something doesn't mean, you know, it's going to affect you. And breweries have gotten so hyper local now that I'd much rather see a chart that said in this town, in this city, the this is town. what these breweries did. I actually went and talked to some brewery owners and they did this many barrels. And we think we're going to be able to do this. That, that to me is a lot more helpful than, you know, the whole state of Texas did this many barrels. Uh, it, it just doesn't help. Some of the some of the other things you see too, uh, you know, you'll just see a lot of cookie cutter stuff uh, that you can tell is just kind of cut and paste, um, you know, that is not helpful, uh, you know, just overall, right? There, there's kind of things that you just look for, and you can say, hey, they went out and Googled, you know, craft beverage business plan, and it it all came together. And so, you know, I would say that if anything's not specific to your brewery in the plan, um, and it's data that you've actually come up with or someone's helped you gather. Um, just go ahead and toss it out because it, it's not going to add a ton of value. I recently was talking to a brewer that uh, he's been working on building this brewery now for years. And uh, so, you know, we've built a relationship and it's been very interesting to see. I kind of yelled at him last week. He's like, all right, I'm ready. You know, we're going to do this. And I said, you know, cause I, I study a lot of just, just business, right? I'm an insurance guy, but I love business. I love goals and planning and all that stuff. You know, I couldn't be where I'm at without planning. So I was like, all right, well, I need the business plan, your startup, you know, I need, you know, pro forma, some of these things. And he goes, well, I don't have a business plan. I said, dude, have you ever heard the quote from Winston Churchill? Failing to plan is planning to fail. I was like, do not send me anything until you put it on paper. It's like, write it down on paper, how you're going to get where you're going. 
or else you're going to go nowhere. And now I understand, you know, in a town, you'd be the only brewery. It's a small town. Everyone's going to come there. But what does that mean? Like, what, what do you plan on doing? How are you going to get there? Yeah, there's, you know, it's, there's got to be a rhyme or reason to how things happen, right? So, um, you know, we will get those business plans where, um, and, I, and I talk about this a little bit, is the build it and they will come approach is, hey, if I put a sign out front that says beer, people are going to come. And, you know, that is not a great business plan. And it's not a lendable business plan. Like, I can't lend to, I'm going to open the doors and they're going to come because you can't quantify that, right? And how do I know that you're going to have enough people? Because yes, you open the doors and one person may come. But I need you to have a business plan and some kind of marketing plan and a sales plan that says, I'm going to figure out how to drive hundreds of people to the the brewery and not just the one Repeated. Uh, person that knows who I am, that, that liked my homebrew and is planning on coming over. And you got to do it repeatedly. And they're, you know, why do I, why do I need this for the underwriters? Because they want to know how you're going to pay your damn insurance bill, right? They want to know how you're going to oh, yeah. grow. Well, in all of that, let's talk about that, right? Straight line growth is so rare in a business plan. We, I see that a lot in a business plan. I'll see someone basically say month one and month two is a little bit higher. And then month three is a little bit higher. And then month four is a little bit higher and then month five. And then all of a sudden they're just printing money. And the realistic, you know, what tells me someone's actually done real research is when they have this really high month one number and then they have a month two that's about half a month one. And then month two is probably, a, or month three is about the same as two. And then four, maybe even drop a little more. And then five, six, seven, eight, nine, start yeah. to kind of come back up because there's a huge new people bounce, right? So, hey, you're the new brewery. I'm going to forego having a beer at my existing brewery to go try yours. But then I'm going to go back and say, yeah, that was cool and all, but I like my guy and I like my brewery. And maybe I'll come to you one out of every three or four rotations whatever happened in month one is month two is not going to be bigger than month one. Absolutely not. Yeah. Correct. You get that boom. So, all right. Yeah. You, you get, you get a, the, the new guy uh, love the and then all of a sudden on the block. you're like, yeah. all right, what are you going to do from that? So, um, you know, the other, the other kind of parts when we talk about, let's talk about just more projection. So w- when you look at that, I, again, I want to see these really early on but I want to see the assumptions. So a lot of times I'll get these projections and I'll say, all right, cool. How did you get there? And they'll say, well, this is kind of what I think. Right. And so what I want to see is, all right, what, how many barrels do you think you're going to brew in year one? How much of that is going to be tap room versus distribution? And you should have a chart of this, right? This, this shouldn't be something that's just locked in your head. This should be included, like put your projections there. And then the very next page are the assumptions of your projections. Right. So what's your capacity? So how if you're on a three barrel system and, you know, you only have, I don't know, let's call it, you know, 30 barrels of uh, capacity. What what are you going to be able to do? Right. How, how much can you get out? What's capacity? Are you going to start double batching right away? What, what's that going to look like? You know, the other biggest part about assumptions is understanding, you know, the one benefit of being in the brewing industry is a camaraderie that comes as long as you're not asking for super secret trade industry insight, most breweries are going to say, hey, in our first year, we did this many barrels. And in year two, we did this many barrels. And maybe we would have done this a little bit differently. So you should go and say, what did the other people, you know, 10 miles, like 
do a 10 or 20 mile radius. Say, what everyone do? You know, if, if you can do that, it gives me a good feeling that you have an experience that you know what you're going to do, right? And, and it makes it a lot better than, well, I'm just kind of taking a guess. We've got this or that and the other. That doesn't, you know, make me feel very warm and fuzzy. But if you go and say, hey, we talked to these four other breweries, they all did this. We think that we're going to be about that same thing. That makes me think, okay, great. Well, they, they at least have kind of understanding on that. And then in the, you know, if it's, if it's a second or third location, you know, what did you do historically? You, you should be able to track your data from, you know, tasting room one. If you move a tasting room, you know, your next one's 30 miles away or 15 miles away or whatever, that, that should be able to have some kind of, you know, hey, we're not a brand new brand but we also are not, you know, established. So we're going to have to establish some, some buyer patterns. So how can we, can we make that work? So those assumptions really make projections hit home. So projections without assumptions are just kind of guesses in my opinion. Uh, I say, yeah, I mean, a lot of that stuff is it's predictable to an extent. It's like, all right, I have this size system. I have this many fermenters. This is what we can do. Um, there, I've talked to this many distributors. They'll take this. So you, you've, I mean, that's pretty it's, available it's data, simple, right? right? Everyone knows that they're going to sell a pint for five to seven dollars. They know that approximately a, a good banker, uh, and the, and you know, not saying that you need to go to a specialized banker, but a, you know, a banker should know that in the in the draft sales in a tap room, they've got about an eighty to ninety percent margin, depending on what they're doing. And when that same beer goes out into distribution, they're getting about a third of the actual, you know, revenue that they should be getting from it. Um, and so kind of understanding what that mix is. So if you're going heavy distribution early on, I'm expecting your numbers to not be as good as if you say, hey, we're doing just a small, you know, seven barrel production, we're doing zero distribution, and we're going to sell all of our counters. I should be able to see your margins really effective that I, I actually talked to a business owner one time and I said, all right, this is where hopefully I add some values. I went to him and said, hey, you you broke down your your sales, but your your revenue is the same, whether it's distribution or tap room. I said, that doesn't make sense to me. He goes, well, what I did was I actually blended it. And so everything, I just did a per barrel and then I, I sorted out. I said, all right, cool. At least I understand what your logic was. And so that's that's really helpful when a um, a brewery owner is able to tell you, hey, look, it may not look the way you wanted me to look, but I can back up the way I got to that number. And that can help me as opposed to, oh, man, I didn't even know there's a difference between distribution and, and uh, <laughs> that's a red flag. You know, on-site consumption. Right. So that's that's a problem. Yeah. All right. What about. Yeah, uh, go ahead. No, no, I was going to also say just in that same thing as, you know, how realistic are the numbers, right? We, we get that a lot where someone's, you know, had a really small system, a really small tasting room, and they did, you know, $300,000 as a top line revenue. And they come to me and say, hey, here's my business plan. Uh, we're going to we're gonna do a million next year. And I'm like, how? Right. And, and right. so that, that's that's scary. And so you've got to be able to, you know, in that same line, you got to be able to understand that. Yeah. And start, you know, start with the end of mind. That's cool. All right. Have a, have a goal of a million. Okay. Now we're going to yeah. divide that by 12 months. What's that a hundred grand a month, basically. Um, how are we going to do that? That's 25 grand a week. Like how, how are you doing that? How are you getting there? There's a way to do it, but you know, chart out that path. Yeah. So much of that. Uh, Jason, um, my brewery is going to have a food truck. <laughs> 
Yeah, so that's 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 a great place in the business plan is people talk about, hey, we're gonna have a food truck. And so that statement that you just make, my favorite question to that is, so what, right? And so the reason is you learn that food trucks are such double-edged swords because some food trucks say, yeah, we'd love to come out. You're gonna guarantee that we're gonna make this much money. And what if you don't have the tasting room revenue to do that? That that food truck may have actually cost you money to be out there. Uh, the secret of the food truck is, can they be good enough to keep people drinking in your tasting room from that 4.30 to 7.30 timeframe, right? Because that's when people traditionally leave a brewery, they either had some drinks in the afternoon and went and had dinner, or they had some dinner and then they're going to come have a couple of drinks later. That food truck's got to be enough of a draw to keep people in the seats. And, and so many people find different ways to do that. It may be, we're going to have a partnership with the pizza place and we're going to deliver pizza. We're going to sell pizza by the slice. We're going to be able to do something. But just the fact that there's going to be a food truck on site doesn't enhance your business plan any. Um, and so, you know, the other question I have to that is, well, if you're going to do that, do you have the skill set to even run a kitchen, right? Because some people will say, hey, we're going to have a prep kitchen. And I'm going to say, okay, great. That's even more of a food truck kind of issue is, what are you going to put in there? Is it going to be just pretzels and, you know, pizza and tacos and things like that? That's great. Um, do you have the skill to do that? Or are you going to do, you know, a lot of breweries now have moved to brick oven pizzas, right? So are you going to have someone who's going to be able to actually run a brick oven pizza oven, or are you going to have all of, of that issue? So, you know, it's something that you've got to weigh and just the statement of we're going to have a food truck doesn't, doesn't, you know, necessarily, uh, enhance or detract from your business plan, but it's important to understand what does that mean and are you going to rotate and is it going to cost you anything to have those uh, food trucks yep. on site? So as you see the, the book behind me here on the shelf is is the one thing and is a quote from this book that says, you know, and this, you know, I caution some folks to say, hey, you know, we're going to have a kitchen, we're going to do this. I'm saying, well, you're a brewery, right? Make beer, you're good at that, you know? The, the quote from the book says, if you chase two rabbits, they're both going to get away. So, you know, chase one rabbit, you're going to get it. Make good beer, outsource the rest. Yeah. Yeah, there's such a huge part. In, and that's where, you know, sometimes when someone says, hey, we're going to have this really extravagant kitchen, you know, maybe they want to be a brew pub instead, right? So it's more of a, hey, let's have a lot more focus on the food part of it. And how do we pair those appropriately? Because right? your food truck's not going to have, you know, something where you say, hey, these many tacos go great with this IPA. Uh, and then we're going to not have a dessert that goes with this stout or porter or something like that. Right. And so if you, if you really want to have this artisan food component of it, you know, and you think that you've got someone who's got the culinary background, it's probably better to say, Hey, look, we, we want to really focus on that and, and highlight that part of it. And, and in the business plan, this is what's going to make our food component so much better is we're going to pair it with beers. We're going to have one-offs that you'll only be able to taste in the tap room. And, and that that's really kind of exciting because from a business plan standpoint, if you really do have a good focus on food, you're, you'll capture a lot more revenue. You'll also bring people who want to have, uh, and I know you're in Pennsylvania and I'm down in Georgia, so I'm going to use the Georgia term. They're going to want a Coke. Right. And they're going to want to have a Coke and something non-alcoholic with their burger or whatever. And so you can catch, capture some of that revenue. So, you know, that that's that's such a challenge that they will have uh, between, you know, if either either, you know, you want to do food or you don't want to do food. But like you said, I don't don't mix. Uh, don't dabble. Don't do it halfway. Yeah. 
Yeah, don't dabble. Like, get a chef who knows a shit and is going to do it really well and let him handle that part of it. Because, yeah, we want to have food there, right? That'll keep you there longer. And if it's well thought out, awesome. But don't, like, don't half-ass it. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's 100% right. And that's, and that's, you know, one of the questions you can tell pretty early on when they say, well, we're going to do, we haven't figured that part out yet. It's kind of something that says we probably should just, let's go ahead and just scrap that all together. Because if, you if you've gotten this far and you haven't figured it out, you're not going to figure it out between when we start construction on your brewery or your second location uh, and actually open the doors. Yeah, and you go back to the episode I did with Chris Linton of HRA Builds on, on, on building a brewery. The first thing he asks you about your brewery is, what's your menu? So they can build the kitchen and build the rest of the place around it with the brewery, you know? So if they haven't figured it out, it's like, okay, well, we got to back up. Let's, you know, let's talk to other folks who've done it before. So again, there's, there's no, there's no shortage of help, you know, just everyone's willing to help in this industry. It's actually a beautiful thing. There's, there's so many great people that will just give up their time. Right. So there's so much where someone will call me and I'll say, Hey, I'm happy to help. What, what can I help with? And they'll say, well, we we're pretty far down with another bank, but someone recommended we talk to you. And I say, great, send me all your stuff. Like, we're not going to try and take it away from that other bank, but let me tell you some things that I think can enhance that, right? Do this differently. Tell them this is going to happen. Or sometimes someone will say, look, we've, we've poured into a lot of this and it doesn't seem to be working. How do we change it? And um, I, I always tell them that there's times where I'll look under the hood and say, okay, I'm going to tell you a lot of stuff. We may or may not be able to lend to you, but I'm going to help we have you leave with a plan that will get someone to lend you. It may, it may be, you know, you may have bad credit. Cause I've had that before. Someone, someone comes to me and says, Hey, look, we've got a great plan, but I declared bankruptcy six months ago. Well, you're, you're not getting any bank debt at that point, but I can help you really, really work to get, you know, some crowdfunding, to get some good investors, to get some other parts. And that's where the other part of that business plan is. It's not just for the bank. It could be something where the bank's not able to help, but if you craft it right, you know, you can really go out and find other ways to finance the project. Absolutely. And that's why, again, it's important for them to work with a specialist, someone who's seen it before, someone who's done it before. Here, here, I've seen this before. Here's what we've done. Here's how we've helped. Here's who I introduced them to. And it worked out. So awesome. Um, Jason, I am starting a brewery in this town. There is no other brewery. I have no competition. Yeah. So I have bad news for you, Kyle. You've, you've missed something. Uh, that, that's, that happens. And, and we get those business plans all the time where someone says that, hey, I don't have any competition. And, um, you know, as studies continue to go and, and you talk more about millennials and some of the other generations, you know, we used, you used to think that craft beverage was only fighting against the big guys, right? The, the mass beer producers were your competition. But now with the way all these artisan bars are and, and distilleries and people really don't have this huge affinity. They may love craft beer, but they also may love craft whiskey and they may love craft, uh, you know, vodka and other cocktails. So when you start looking at your competition, it's not just looking at what are the other breweries around because a lot of the restaurants, so you, you are kind of competing against yourself, right? So you may actually produce some beer and send it to the local restaurant and they may go to that local restaurant and they may be buying your beer. And so it, in, it's not necessarily full competition, but you're cutting your margins even by yourself, right? And so you may be having that restaurant reduce your margins because they're going there, uh, or they're going to that restaurant and they're having one of your beer and one of someone else's beer. And so you've lost some of your margin because your competition is the other beers that are on tap. 
Well, I'll play, I'll play devil's advocate, right? I mean, you put your beer on tap at other places for exposure because it's not yes. for margin. It's not margin, right? No. So I'm going to put my beer on tap at this restaurant down the street in hopes that they buy that beer, they like it, and they come to my brewery after or another day. Oh, that's it. That's a hundred percent. I I have always said that tap handles are billboards and that's really what a tap handle is for you. Uh, But what you're also looking for is what is the reason? And this is, this maybe leads into something else we were talking about is maybe what, what our differentiators are, because all the time I get something that says, Hey, our differentiators, we're going to have super quality, super clean, super awesome beer. But I will tell you that no one has sent me a business plan that says we're going to brew the junkiest, cheapest beer that we can brew and just try and, you know, squeeze as much margins out of it. No one does that. Everyone's an art. Like they're, they're really proud of what they do. And so everyone starts there. So, you know, the differentiators are a lot of other things. They're your location. Are you part of a downtown with an open container, right? Can, can someone walk out of the front of your brewery and walk around the downtown area um, you know, what's the view? Do you have this really awesome view of water or uh, a giant forest or a field or something? Um, do you have award-winning beer? Because I may have liked your beer on tap, but also there's five other really awesome breweries and I have to go 10 miles to get to you and I'll never get there because the other four uh, get in front of me. The other things could be, you know, these mixed use where your brewery is literally sitting at the end of an edge of an amphitheater and there's concerts and theaters on the square and fine dining and all these other kind of things or you know are you near the sports stadium right down down in uh down here in atlanta the they built something around the brave stadium and now there's a bunch of breweries and distilleries that that's you know when when the games are in session that's where people are going, you know, and, and that's a huge part of it. And so, you know, do you have this really cool tasting room or speakeasy? The, or do you have a farm field, right? Do you have something where you're in a big city, but there's a, a brewery just out of, out of you know, the outskirts of town that has five acres that you can kind of go and hike and hang out and do all those kind of things? Um, th- those are some of the huge advantages um, that would go. But you, you're right. Um, you want to get that beer out uh, because people will know your brand by what they see on the tap handle or what they see on the side of the delivery truck or what they see in your buddy's refrigerator uh, Mm -hmm. a lot more than you going out and telling them how awesome their beer is. I'll say two things there. You made me want to move to Georgia because we don't do those things up here in Pennsylvania. Um, But number two, right. And also you're going to put your beer on in other places. Ask them about their draft lines. You don't want your beer misrepresented by dirty draft lines. Oh yeah. So, you know, somebody can get a bad experience from your beer somewhere else and then just be like, eh, you know, because you get one shot at a first impression. Yes. And, and that's that's a huge thing. And it's not something I guess I think about enough. But, you know, you lose quality control the second that keg goes out of, of the back of your loading dock. And then you're, you're relying on the retailer and the distributor to make sure that it tastes the same way it does at your brewery. You know, and then that beer tender, right, doesn't know all the ins and outs of your beer, um, what it is, who brewed it, why it was brewed. That's that's what I miss about, you know, with this whole COVID thing, which we'll hop into next. But um, I miss going to the brewery and hearing the story about the beer and, and hearing how it was made with local stuff. Like you go to a restaurant, you don't, you don't typically get that as you would from the brewery itself. Yeah, you know, you're right. They they are not as proud of the artisan part of the product 
as the person who actually brewed it. A lot of times they just slide that beer menu over mm-hmm. or point to the screen. Uh, and and even, especially with the self-pour taps becoming a bigger and bigger part, a lot of times now you're just walking over and swiping your little card and pouring some beer and, you know, hoping, hoping that you like what comes out the other end. Dude, you're walking around outside with beer and then you're pouring your own at places. This is ridiculous. <laughs> you mentioned the tap handle. Um, actually, uh, episode 78 was with Andrew um, of Tap Handles uh, Incorporated and or Tap Handles LLC. And that all of a sudden has been like one of the top episodes. So um, we're going to I'm going to dive into some more. I have upcoming episodes about draft lines as well as tap systems. But, you know, as you mentioned there, it's about quality. It's about vision. It's that first, you know, that first taste. It's that first um you know, the first thing you see, you know, when you have a, a list of beers um, on the beer wall there, it's like, which one do I want? You know, you got to stand out. Yeah, you you pick your first beer with your eyes usually. You look at it and you say, this is a really cool tap handle. I need to try this. And that's that's a huge part. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's a beer you've never heard of and you say, uh, but it's got cool, cool artwork yep. and let me yep. try it. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So COVID, remember that? Yeah. You know what that is? I think we're still there. Yeah. I haven't forgotten it because, you know, it's still hanging around. I think we're in the fourth quarter, hopefully. Um, yes. Literally, I guess. Um, actually, one tomorrow will be, you know, one year. Friday the 13th was for us. So today's the 12th. Yes. Um, all right. So when you're looking at a business plan now and COVID, a COVID environment, a worst case scenario isn't accounted for, how, do, how does that, in the eyes of a lender... How does that look? Yeah, so it looks a little bit tone deaf to the, where the industry is right now. I, I recently saw a survey where 40% of the people that were surveyed have gone to a brewery zero times in the last 30 days, right? And so if you are, especially if you're not focused on distribution, which a lot of brewery plans that I'm seeing now are focused on a draft on on site at the at the actual brewery. Um, you should really, really be talking about the fact that you think forty percent of your customers aren't coming to see you at least for probably. Uh, I don't know what that number is, but I would say it's probably six months to a year uh, that you're gonna you're gonna have only operating at sixty percent capacity. So you need to at least acknowledge it. You know there are some places in the country that it's still affecting more than others, uh, and so you know I would expect that. Each plan is going to be based on what's going on in your, you know, area. You know, I, I know that Texas just waived like their mask mandate. We really haven't had any mandates down here in Georgia, uh, but I know that you know Colorado is about to get, uh, you know, a couple of feet of snow. And so, you know, the fact that their winter is so bad, you know, it's preventing people from being able to hang outside, like we were talking about earlier. And that that needs to be something that's accounted for in your business plan. The fact that you know, it's not going to get warm until May and your outside dining is, or your outside consumption is probably not happening until, you know, that kind of time frame. Yeah. So you should have a plan for, you know, not only distributing kegs, but I guess packaging cans, crowlers, something for consumption offsite. Yeah. Huge, and then that's going to skew your margins. Yes. Well, also, you know, I, I would love to see, you know, if, if you were coming to me and saying, Hey, we're going to do this onsite, you know, plan, I really want to understand what your cooler going to look like, right? How much, because I would expect that if you were doing this right, every single person should be leaving with crawlers or six packs or something 
that helps you, you know, hold them over, right? Because you may get them once, because uh, I, I don't remember the exact number, but there was still a large person that said they only went to a brewery once in 30 days. So you may have to bridge the gap for 30 days. So every, you know, that that's where the sales side of it goes. I, I would love to, you know, see in the business plan that says, hey, look, we're going to sell this much in, you know, pints, but here's our plan to actually have 64 ounces or 128 ounces or whatever leave with that patron so we can help continue to push the margins up. Absolutely. Okay. What makes a good investor in your brewery from a bank's perspective? And yeah, can, so you have, this, can you have too many? So you know, let's dive in. Yeah, oh yeah. So uh, you can. So, you know, let, let's talk about that, right? So this, this first one may be a curveball that no one would expect. You can actually have a too rich investor, an investor that has too much money because especially with the SBA, there is something called a credit elsewhere test. And when you have an investor, especially let's say they're a, a 20% or more investor, and I can talk about why that's important, uh, they may have too much. So let's say you're borrowing, let's just use some round numbers. Let's say you're borrowing a half a million and that person's got $10 million in you know, cash and investments. If they've got too, if they've got that much money, there's no reason in the SBA's eyes or the bank's eyes that you really need to borrow that money. You just borrow five hundred thousand from them, and go about your day, right? And so you can have investors that have a large portion of your ownership that are too wealthy, and so that's one side of that. Um, you can also have too poor is not a great word because if they're investing in your brewery, they have money, but. So who are not liquid enough? Yeah, that, that they literally said, hey, I want to, you're going to, you, you're trying to do them a solid and, you know, for $10,000, you're going to give them a large chunk of the brewery because, you know, they're your good friends. Well, that could be doing yourself a disservice. But the other issue is too many. So uh, I've seen a couple of breweries where they went out and raised, you know, 1,000, 5,000 kind of investments, but they went out to 40 people. And, you know, there, there's a lot of investors. And when you go for a loan and, uh, you know, kind of accounting for that, you have to, you know, account for 100% of the ownership. So you're going to have to get information from these people. And it may be worth, it may be more of a headache to track down all these $1,000 investors uh, than it would be as opposed to going and getting three $10,000 investors. Uh, and so having that huge list really starts to dilute the strength and also starts making a lot of work for you as the owner and, and also the bank uh, from a headache perspective. Go back to the, the concept of too many cooks in the kitchen, right? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. many cooks, they're all bumping into each other and nothing gets done. Now the food's well, Yeah, and then everyone wants to make a decision of how you're going to spend it, right? So if you have a bunch of small investors, they're going to say, well, wait, I don't want to invest in this. I want to start taking some money out. Give me, give me some of my money back out. Um, I, I would tell you that one of the best things that you can do, um, and this is not from the legal, per, I, I'm not the legal guy, but I would tell you that one of the best things you can do is have an exit plan for your investors before you even open the door. So how how can you start to reduce the number of investors or be able to buy them out over time if you've got one or two um, before you even open the doors and have them agree to that? Because that's a really huge uh, roadblock to some people's expansions. They, they may say, hey, I want to expand, but I've got this 30% owner and they're pushing back. They're not willing to give a guarantee. And so we're going to be stuck at this one location because they'd rather take out, you know, 
4000 $5,000 in profits instead of investing it back in and letting us go to another location. And sometimes that investor might have something come up in their personal life and they need that money. Yeah. Well, it's, it's huge, right? I mean, you, you may have it where someone thought they were buying an annuity of your brewery. Um, and I think, you know, when we're talking about investors, it's really important to be able to have uh, clear expectations with your investors because a lot of them um, are all looking for that 30, 40, 50 million dollar payday because they think they're investing in the next, you know, big thing. And I think you have to give them a realistic expectation. The realistic expectation is there's a chance you're not going to see any revenue from this brewery for four to five years. And when you do, it's going to be a trickle, not a flood. And, you know, if you talk to most brewery owners, they're in it for the, you know, the industry and the art and the camaraderie and, and building great beer. They're not like, there's not a lot of guys that I see in a business plan. I've seen a few that say, Hey, we're going to build this brand and we're going to burn at a hundred percent for five years. And then we're going to sell it off. Most don't say that. Most say, Hey, look, we're trying to be really awesome. And we're going to do really great things. And one day I'll figure out the exit plan at that point. And so if your investor thinks that they're about to, you know, ring the goose with a golden egg and you're thinking, well, we're just going to slowly but surely kind of putter along and, and make great stuff, you probably should go find a different investor. Yeah. And that's just another reason for communication and planning. Um, I was just thinking through this as, you know, a red flag when you said you have this wealthy investor. <clears throat> so as a bank's perspective, this guy's got 10 million and, and, you know, you're saying, Hey, why isn't this guy lend you that 500 or that million? And then, you know, your guy's going, well, I asked him and he won't. So is that kind of like, okay, well maybe something's up. Yeah. So it, there, there is, there are issues with that from time to time, right? Because you'll, you'll have someone who will say, Hey, I, I asked for this money and they don't believe in me enough to do that. Or they're, they're going to say they, they have other um, interest and this isn't really what, what their interests are kind of doing them a favor. And um, you know, when you look at an investor, especially someone who has 20% or more ownership, right. And I keep talking about the 20% because for the SBA, that really is kind of the tipping point. It, Below 20%, the bank may ask for a personal guarantee, right? They may say, hey, look, to strengthen this deal, we want this person to give a guarantee. But if they own over 20%, the SBA says it's a requirement, right? So they, they need to be prepared to do that. And so you may have people who will say, hey, look, I believe in your, this is how much I'm willing to lose in your investment uh, and in your brewery, and I'm not willing to give any more than that. And, and that's fine. There's a place for that. But you have to be able to measure the, you know, the strength of that. That, that. that needs to be a kind of a smaller owner, not a bigger owner, if they're saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm looking at the downside more than the upside of what you're doing. Have you found that there's like a, a magic number of investors or split that, you know, you see it and you're like, I like that. That's right. That works. Yeah, so I usually feel like it's in kind of that two to three kind of range because you don't have too many people that are, you know, you can get two or three people on the same page, right? So if you've got 50 people and you're trying to march them in a line, you've always got people going left, right, back, forward, right? If you've got two or three, you can sit down and say, hey, look, here's the vision. Do you guys all agree in the vision? They can all shake their head yes, and you can move forward. The other part of that is if you've raised, let's just say your project's in a million and you raise three or 400,000 from two to three people, they're probably more than likely, if things struggle, going to help more and they're going to be able to throw more money in. If you went out and found 50 investors and they all threw 1,000 in and you start to falter, 
they're probably going to tell you, hey, good luck. That $1,000 I flushed on the drain, but I'm not helping you anymore. And so they're going to be a lot less bought in than two or three kind of larger investors that are willing to uh, kind of help if, if things go, start to go sideways, they'll help kind of bail you out. Okay. And that makes sense. So, you know, I think back to like college or just any like group decision making, right? A lot of times they would say have an odd number of people in a group so that when it comes to voting, it's not split 50-50. Do you care about that? Is that kind of a weird situation that I'm bringing up? But So it is kind of unique. Um, normally, and, and we see this all over the place, right? So sometimes you'll have breweries that will issue A shares, B shares. So they may say, hey, we're going to own all the voting shares will be owned by the people who are actually operationally in the day-to-day. And all the investors that are putting money in have B shares. And so you can tell us your opinion all you want, but if you want us to you know, brew some funky beer that doesn't meet with our brand or you want to do something crazy, we basically can tell you, no, we're not going to do that. And you have no right to overthrow that. So it, it kind of, you know, most most breweries, um, you know, the operating members have the largest percentage. And so a lot of times those votes are done by, you know, I hold five votes, you hold four votes, and then these other investors hold one and two. And so they can't outvote us even if they both agree to do something different. So you know, it really depends on how you structure it, whether you give them no voting rights or you give them reduce voting rights of the yeah. people who are actually Okay. So just something to think about people. Um, <clears throat> all right. We have these investors. We talked, we talked business plan. We talked investing, raising capital, that kind of thing. Um, what about the management team? What does a bank look at? You know, what, are, what do you care about? What don't you care about? So the first part that I always look at is tell me about your brewer, right? And the second question after I found out who the brewer is, is what is percentage ownership is that brewer going to have? Um, I've seen it happen a couple of times where that brewer is just a quote unquote employee and they have zero ownership. And, you know, about two days after the, this, this has happened twice, about two days after the opening, there's a big disagreement on the vision. And that brewer says, hey, good luck. And they walk out. And then you've got some people who have no experience brewing beer and they are now floundering uh, trying to get some beer produced. So, you know, one of the very first things I want to understand is what's going to keep, if, if you love your brewer so much, what's going to keep that brewer on your payroll or on the ownership side of it? You know, so you're either going to pay them like something that no one else is willing to match. And so you're going to say, hey, we're going to pay them two times the industry average. Most breweries aren't going to do that. Yep. Um, the other part is you're going to start paying them for the sweat equity. So, hey, if you do this, We'll give you 1%. You're going to earn 1% a year up until you own this much percentage um, and, and have some kind of incentive to keep them around. Because, you know, when you think about it, if you, you know, I've seen it where, you know, someone says, hey, I'm a home brewer, but I really like kind of the operational side. Uh, but if they don't have any commercial brewing experience, it's it's a lot to change the batch from your one, you know, your one gallon bucket in the in the house to a 30 barrel, you know, brew house that's fully automated or doing something like that. If you don't understand that, it can be pretty tragic. So that that's the very first place is a brewery. And I want to understand, like when, when you're putting your business plan, I want to understand how you've locked them in, right? I, I don't I want to see why they're why they're not gonna leave. I want to understand what's the awards they bring. So if they've if they've been somewhere else and they created recipes somewhere else that have won awards, like even, even if you're a new startup. 
don't discount what they've done other places, right? Yeah, I, I want to understand that. I want to understand what's the biggest batch they've brewed. I want to understand what their what their capacity was to actually do it, right? So there's a lot more that, you know, I think that brewer brings that people don't think about. The next thing I want to understand is tell me about your finance guy, right? So is this, do you, does, does anyone have any finance acumen that's going to be able to appropriately put together a PNL and balance sheet? Or are you guys just going to go to QuickBooks and start plugging in a bunch of numbers and really hope that, you know, on the other end of it, it sorts out and says you guys are profitable. So I, I want to understand the finance guy. And that may not, you know, that may be contracted out. So you may not have that experience, but I want to understand that, you know, you, it's not just we're going to do all this and then we're going to send, um, you know, uh, our accountant, a 1231, you know, PNL and balance sheet and say, hey, hopefully we did this right. I, you need someone, whether that's an outsourced bookkeeper or it's someone, you know, a consultant that's going to be along with you, or you've got someone who's had a financial background um, that they'll be able to kind of put things together. Because what I need to understand and what someone needs to be able to tell me, is this thing going to make money? And also, if it's not making money, what adjustments are you going to do to to get it there? Um and then, you know, when you look at the management team, the other part of it is this is a part that's not thought of very often is what is the personal strength of all this management team? And what I mean by that is, do they bring a bunch of cool things, right? So sales, like who's going to head up your sales? Who's going to head up your firehouse, right? That's, that's half the coin. The other half is what people don't look at is did that person ruin their credit? Did someone have a bankruptcy recently? Is there a divorce or something issue that is really kind of creating this? And then what's the strength? Do you have a bunch of people that are really, really good, but when you put every single penny that you've got together, you barely can, you know, put 10 or $12 together. That That's also a struggle. So you have to balance both the skills of the operational side of the brewery. And you also have to have some business acumen. So you're, you're, ownership, whether that's investors that are going to be passive that can bring some of that strength or the people who are actually operating it need to have some wherewithal to be able to actually kind of put those two pieces together. So you got to have the operational side, but you got to also have some financial strength on your own side too. Is it something where, all right, I'm building a business plan. I can have a financial advisor, an accountant help me build it. Um, You create the plan and then that looks good. But then, you know, once you're operating, you know, they're not involved, but they just helped you build it. Um, I guess they would need some coaching or, you know, is it just as simple as using QuickBooks or what do you think? So I, th- I think there's a lot, right? So there, there's, you know, th- if you look throughout the country, there are a lot of free resources that will kind of help you get going. And if you've got a really strong financial acumen, you can go out and find some of the spreadsheets online and you can find maybe someone who will give you 30 minutes of free advice. But if you're saying, hey, this is really our strength, there's a lot of really amazing people who this is what they do for a living. They show up, they help. And a lot of times they'll help trying to connect you with the right bank, right? So they, they'll they say, look, I understand this bank or this insurance advisor or this uh, construction person or this, you know, whatever. They, they kind of understand the industry and they'll be able to try and connect us. I mean, that's a little bit how you and I interact too, right? I, I try and find and say, look, I don't understand insurance, but Kyle does. So you should talk to Kyle. It's the same thing those consultants do. They may not understand every acumen or, you know, in the brewing industry, but they'll be able to help you put together the PL that doesn't look, you know, like it's a hot mess, right? I actually had someone send me a balance sheet one day that didn't balance. And I knew we were in trouble then, right? When you're, when, when, when both sides of the ledger don't balance, 
you've done something, you know, astronomically wrong. And, and, and that, that is not a great first impression for a banker is to get something that where you go, yeah, you guys can't even balance your assets and liabilities. We've, we've got a problem here. Right. And that's, and that, that becomes a, a, a different conversation. <laughs> and Jason, I am laughing because that's uh, precisely why I stopped being an accounting major after three years. <laughs> There's just some of those parts in there. I'm like, I don't get it. So I'm much better now. With that stuff. Hey, a lot of these guys just use a miscellaneous catch-all and they say, Hey, this one will, this one will balance it out. Yeah. It's cool. Here's, here's the gap. Let's just make up a line item that balances it. That's right. Cool. Um, what else? Anything we didn't hit on that uh, you wanted to talk about? You know, I think, let's see. You know, I, I think the biggest part is just, you know, when you're bringing a business plan, it, it can be concise. It does not have to be 100 pages. I think a lot of people feel like, if I, if I inundate somebody with pages, they'll think I'm smart, right? Some of the best business plans that I've seen written are, you know, four or five pages of financials and four or five pages of really succinct, here's how we're going to do it. Here's the nuts and bolts of what we're going to do. Uh, and, and they just make it, make it work, right? For me, I'm going to look for that data anyway. So a lot of times, you know, I read the first page and I'm scrolling, 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 and then I find some data points that I really want to look for. Um, and so, you know, do yourself a favor, like kind of going back to what I was talking about before, you know, the, the whole, you know, as you collect your investors, as you collect your management team, as you kind of get a, a 360 look at what you're doing, everything that you're doing is for the sole purpose of gaining investors or getting a loan, right? I mean, no, no one says, hey, let's go to the brewery and write a business plan just for fun and then we'll rip it up, right? That That's not, this isn't an exercise of just enjoyment. You're really doing it because it's a crucial step in proving that your brewery will be successful. So if you treat it that way, you know, get the pertinent details, get the financials up front and really just kind of talk about what's going to be specific to your brewery. And it's not that you have quality ingredients, it's not that you're solving this major. We're not. We're not going to solve world, you know, hunger or solve world peace with with one of these breweries. It's what am I going to do? What makes my brewery unique? And if I can put those things on paper and show good enough to the banker investors, I'm going to be able to fund my dream. Yeah, I like that. So you know, put the financials up front because that's really what you guys are looking for. You don't want to see the fluff. Uh, if you could keep it to ten pages, that's awesome. And and I think as you mentioned, right, we want to use this business plan as a roadmap, as a tool. And if it's so damn long, even the brewery's not going to use it. So make it something that you can use, that you can revisit. Um, and again, start, you know, start with the end in mind and back into it. How, how do we get there? You know, um, the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, it's, it's kind of a mindset thing. It's, you know, your kid wants something and say, dad, I want this. And you're saying, no, we can't afford it. If you change your mindset to, Dad, I want this. Say, okay, how can we afford it? Just that simple, quick mindset. Say, hey, we want to we want to do one point two million dollars in sales instead of saying no, we can't do that. Saying, okay, well, how do we do that? And I think, you know, using that tool, backing into it, and again, keeping it short, you can use your business plan. It can be very valuable. Um, they're there for a reason. I think probably the most successful companies in the world have a plan. They stick to it, but they change it. They review it. They sit down it, with their investors. They they talk about it. It should 100% be a living document. So if yep. the last time you look at your business plan and projections is when you give it to the bank, 
you have not really kind of lived the full purpose of it, right? Those projections, if you give projections, you should be able to do it. And totally different off the track, right? But if your projections, you start realizing your projections are not what your actuals are going to be, you should call your banker right away, right? This is just my free, here's my free 50 cents, right? Uh, if you If you find out that your business plan was really off, do not wait until the banker calls you and says, hey, you guys told us you were going to do this and you did half of that. Now we're not really thrilled with what you've got going on. Are you going to start missing payments? Like it, it is huge where if you're really off track on your business plan and projections that you start having a conversation with your banker and um, you know, no matter which bank it is, you should make sure that you have a banker that you feel like you can trust and call and pick up and say, Hey, things didn't go like this month was weird or wacky. You're going to see this in the numbers. I want to make sure that you knew them up front. Here's what we're doing to adjust it. And that makes a, sl- a banker sleep much better at night than crickets when they're calling and saying, Hey, how's it going? You know, your last quarter numbers didn't look so great. How does, you know, where are you in, in your avoiding them? So a little bit, a little bit off topic than what we were talking about. No, but that, they, that makes sense. I mean, as you mentioned, living document, keep a clear path of communication open and, you know, don't, you know, I guess a lot of the reason why you wouldn't make that call is fear, right? Fear stops us from doing anything. So, you know, eat that frog, call your banker because you know what, this isn't the first time they're going to get this phone call from somebody. Uh, and think of them as your trusted advisor, your, your partner in this, and they might have a resource for you or just say, Hey, listen, I get it. You know, but it's not like, you know, you stole grandma's apple and she's going to, you know, smack you on your butt or something like that. You know? Yeah. And, and I think, terrible analogy. <laughs> your grandma wants to give you all the apples, you know? Yeah. Then again, no, one, no one's going to be upset with you stealing an apple. I mean, the stealing part's probably not great, but they're, they're okay with you eating the apple. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. All right, my friend. Well, <clears throat> I'll throw you a little curveball. I noticed per LinkedIn, you were a Dale Carnegie trainer. So I'll ask you two yes. questions. One, is it Dale Carnegie or Dale Carnegie? So I would say it is Dale Carnegie. Say that again. Dale Carnegie, not Carne- Carnegie. Dale Carnegie. I don't know. Maybe my Southern accent throws it off. <laughs> I, I hear it every way, you know. All right. What was something you learned from that? Like what was one item that you took from that that you still um, use in your everyday life? So I think the biggest thing that I have gotten from that and part of the reason I was am and have been involved so long is that it is amazing to invest in other people. And as you start to look at each other as these really cool human beings that have kind of all things going around them, if you start investing in your employees, if you start investing in your coworkers, if you start investing in strangers, uh, there are really, really great things um, about them. Uh, one of the things that I always look at, and this, this may be hard for some people to swallow, is when you look at someone, if you can't think of something that is amazing about them or really good about them, that the problem is within you, not within them, because everyone has really amazing things. And uh, it's, it's, just a, it's just a great opportunity just to look at other people and, and try and find the best of them. Love it. Rapid fire, you ready? I'm ready. Since you said you listened to a few, I'm trying to... listen to a few, so I'm ready. I'm digging just in kidding. the crate. You're, you're going to mess it up now. All right, Jason, your wife and kids are gone for the weekend. You have some extra time. What do you do? What's your hobby? What do you want to do? 
I'm probably going to end up playing some golf. I'm going to call okay. up the guys, probably play some golf, and then probably play some poker in the evening. We've got a group of guys that like to play it, and we're all married with lots of kids, and we never do it. So we we uh, fake that we're going to play poker, um, and it never happens. So I would actually make it happen. What gets scheduled gets done. That's right. All right. Favorite late night snack? I think it's uh, drumsticks, the ice cream drumsticks. Oh, those are so good. They make the smaller ones now. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm, you know, I'm a bigger size. guy. I got to eat. Yeah. Full <laughs> size. Sometimes it's a commitment. So you got, you know, the small ones, you have two small ones and get in, get out. Awesome. <laughs> um, you, you do the, the chocolate on the inside, caramel. On the yeah, inside. yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm a fan of the chocolate on the inside, but I also, I'm also a fan of the all chocolate ones where it's chocolate ice cream all the way through. Can't go wrong. I like it. <clears throat> Being in the South, I don't even know if you listen to this music. I would assume you do. What is your favorite classic rock band? See, the problem is now that I'm getting older, uh, are they all classic rock? Like, I, I'm not sure. Like, nah, can, can I can I say Guns N' Roses or do I have to go with someone like Leonard Skinner? I mean, what, what what's an I, okay answer here? I was assuming you were going to say Leonard Skinner. I knew that's where you were going. Uh, and so, I, I mean, I, I'm just one state over, so I can always say, you know, Sweet Home Alabama. That's that's okay. Yeah. Uh, but but I would say, you know, now that I'm older, I think all my music from my uh, my youth is on the classic rock station. So I think, you know, I could go with uh, Metallica or Guns N' Roses okay. or any of those guys now. What was like one album or like one cassette or whatever that you were like, I'm so pumped. You threw it in. You're like, this is it. Yeah, so I think it's got to be Appetite for Destruction, okay. right? Uh, awesome. You know, that was good. And, uh, you know, I think the funniest thing ever is what when I was younger, my grandmother actually bought me the, um, I don't know what the actual tape was, but for Christmas, I got the Ice Ice Baby uh, <laughs> cassette one time. So my grandmother uh, was cool enough to go to the, you know, I think at the time it was Turtle Records or whatever and buy uh, the Vanilla Ice cassette. Very nice. <laughs> now he's building houses. Yeah, well, I mean, he's still around. Like right? he's he's still relevant, I guess. Yeah, he's on. He's got his own TV show. He renovates houses. Um. All right, and this is gonna be my last one. And I'm thinking, you got some sunshine down there. You're driving around. It's a sunny day. Do you go windows down or you go in air conditioning? It depends on how deep it is in the summer. Right. So there's Midity, a certain, right? certain point when it's over 90 that your windows only blow in hot air. So uh, I would say right now, though, uh, it's about 75 and it's 100 percent windows down. It's windows down uh, the limited hair that I have left flowing in the wind. <laughs> let it let it flow. <laughs> awesome. All right, cool. Hey, you've been a fantastic guest. This is a lot of fun. I really appreciate your time. I think you delivered a ton of value. Um, we'll We'll hear back from the listeners, I guess. We'll see what they say. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, this is awesome. Uh, anything else you want to throw out there? Anything we didn't cover? That was awesome. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks. All right, that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for listening. I hope you find this valuable. Please follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple. And while you're at Apple, please go ahead and give us a five-star rating. It helps us get noticed among the craft beverage community there. Thank you. Cheers and beer. Mighty things.